Hello everybody and welcome to a very special edition of Africa. This episode we'll be talking about something that is not frequently talked about in the African household or even within the African community and that is mental health. To help us in this conversation, I have invited my friend Dr. Abby Wacheria here with us. Abby and I met about, what, eight, nine years ago when we were both graduate students at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. She holds a PhD in counseling psychology. Abby, welcome to the Careful. To begin our conversation today, why not you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your journey so far. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Dr. Abby Modoni-Washira. You just call me Abby. Um, I am a counseling psychologist, and I currently work at a University Counseling Center in Richmond, Virginia. I'm also originally from Kenya. I was born in Kenya, and I moved to the U.S. in 2004. Um, and since coming to the U.S., I've lived in different states here in the U.S., specifically North Carolina, uh, Nebraska, which is actually where I did my, um, my graduate studies, both my master's and my Ph.D., Go Big Red. Yes, Go Big Red, exactly. Whew, Nebraska brings, brings a lot of memories. Um, and after uh, Nebraska, I did my residency, which is also called a psychology internship in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I did that in uh, Emory University. You came here and you decided to study psychology. Mm -hmm. I know we are Africans. Many times mm -hmm. when we come to school in America, the, the idea is that, oh, let's go do engineering, let's go do medicine. Mm -hmm. law, what have you. I mean, those are the things that our parents sort of pushed. Like, why did you choose to do psychology? And, you know, was it something that you've always wanted to do? I mean, how did that really interest you to start to do? Okay, that's a great question. So I actually was, um, you know, the typical African child who wanted to go into the medical field. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and specifically, I wanted to be uh, a neurosurgeon. And the reason why is because growing up, I actually had a, a, a strong fascination with the brain. You know, I would watch things on TV and I would see how like different neurons in the brain would fire. And I just used to find that to be so fascinating. So I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but specifically I wanted to be a neurosurgeon just so that I can work more with the brain and understand it more. Mm -hmm. I also used to get really fascinated when I would hear like uh, neuroscientists or neurosurgeons saying, how like there's so much they don't know about the brain. And I was just like, that is so fascinating. Like this thing that we have inside of us and like we don't even know all the things that we should know about it. So I just found yeah. that to be so fascinating. But now what happened is when I came to the States, I realized that I was not only fascinated with the brain, I was also fascinated with um, mental health issues in general. Specifically, I was interested in how mental health intersects with uh, social and cultural issues. You know, so things like immigration experiences, moving from one location to another, how it affects the family. I was interested in uh, family dynamics, you know, so, you know, how your upbringing influences who you end up becoming, you know, or some certain behaviors you might have or certain worldview that you might have. Um, I was interested in cultural issues, you know, so based on your race, based on your religion, based on your ethnicity, your nationality, all these different aspects of you, your age, your gender, how does that influence, um, you know, some of the experiences that you have? And then also, how does that intersect with uh, mental health, you know, or your well-being? 
So, you know, those are some of the things that I found to be fascinating when I now came to the States and, you know, I was a little bit older. So still a fascination with the brain, but more so mental health and how does that intersect with social and cultural issues and environmental issues as well. You know, another thing is I also realized as I was growing up, you know, a lot of people around me used to confide in me. You know, so people would tell me how, you know, I was someone who they felt comfortable talking to, you know, and they also told me how, like, when they talked to me, they would feel heard, they would feel comfortable, they would feel like I was someone safe that they could talk to. And they would say how, like, I just knew exactly what to say to make them feel good. Yeah. And so, you know, as I continued on, you know, I mean, I, I studied psychology and actually that's around the time when people used to tell me that. Even my first job, I worked as a, a customer service representative for um, Papa John's Pizza, you know, and I just used to take orders and like talk to customers and things like that. And, you know, I used to get really good feedback about how personable I was, how I was able to handle conflicts well. So anytime there was a conflict with like a customer, I used to be the one who would be called to um, go handle that just because I knew how to problem solve. I was just a very easy person to talk to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I would get information like that from different people, including the work that I was doing, I realized, you know what, I don't think I want to go necessarily into... um, being a neurosurgeon, I think I want to go into something that allows me to, you know, talk one-on-one with people and really help people develop. And I felt like counseling psychology was the thing that would help me with that. What would lead me to doing that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing that. And one thing that I really like about, I guess, your story is this, you know, transition really, truly like we do in academia, we go Mm -hmm. in with an open mind that I want to be able to understand something. And if I go to school to learn and all of a sudden I, f- I find that I've developed a new set of interests, then I'm just going to pursue that. It mm-hmm. wasn't so much that I am stuck on, this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you found that passion and you decided mm-hmm. to pursue it. But you talked about, you know, mental health, you know, intersection with culture and social issues. Mm-hmm. But coming from an African background, mm-hmm. mental health and all of that stuff really is something that is not talked about. It is Mm -hmm. something that, you know, I don't know, we, it's just not talked about. So how did you reconcile, you know, this part of your cultural heritage Mm -hmm. with, you know, trying to do something and likely maybe you're going to go back to your community to try to see how you can help them. How do you try to reconcile that we are from a culture and a community that these are Mm -hmm. not things that are really promoted or, you know, pushed, but, you know, they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not really at the forefront of, of conversation. It's just, you Mm -hmm. know, figure out life, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's tough, definitely. There is a big stigma, you know, in the African community when it comes to um, talking about mental health or mental health concerns in general, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's so many reasons for that. And one of the reasons is there is there are misconceptions about what it means to seek professional mental health. You know, a lot of people, you know, they know, maybe they know of someone or maybe they've just heard or seen on TV that, you know, if you're going to seek professional help for your for your mental health, mm-hmm. that means you're crazy. That means you've lost yeah. it, you know. So you, usually that's one of the biggest uh, misconceptions. So people are like, well, I'm not crazy. I haven't lost my mind. So mm-hmm. why should I be going to see a therapist? You know, I'm fine. I can handle it. 
Then there's also some of the uh, cultural ideals that we have as Africans. So one of the things that um, I know from my community and also working with clients who are Africans is they tell me how they get these messages from their family and relatives about how they always need to push through at all costs. You know, you're not allowed to give up. You're not allowed mm-hmm. to say you're struggling, you know. So also those messages that we get, like, you know, we're not supposed to admit when we're struggling. You know, we, we just need to push through and keep going. And, you know, our parents have made sacrifices. So we also need to make sacrifices to get to where we want to be or to um, advance and succeed. You know, so we just uh, we just also like kind of also don't help ourselves whenever we um we hold so strongly to such ideals or, or yeah. such a way of thinking. So that's another thing. I think another thing is, um, you know, some people might be open, you know, to, to seek therapy. You know, they realize, you know what? I know someone who has done therapy before. They said it was helpful. Maybe I should try this thing, mm-hmm. you know, but then they realize, you know, I'm not really ready. Like I want to do it, but I don't know what to expect. Yeah. You know, I don't really feel like I'm ready to start working on this issue. Or they realize if they go to therapy, that means they're going to have to address some underlying things that they're not ready to address. Some things that maybe happened to them in the past that they don't feel like they're ready to unpack. Mm -hmm. So usually that's another reason. So there's a little bit of openness, but then there's a fear. Like, am I, you know, is this, am I I ready to do this? Like, am I ready to face these things that I haven't faced all these years? You know, and then um, there's also the issue of trust, you know, and that's a big one. You know, if I talk to this therapist about these things that have happened to me or I'm going through, you know, are they able to keep that information confidential? Yeah. And therapists are, um, you know, supposed to keep information confidential. It's just that people may not know that that's the case, you know, so they don't really know what happens in the therapy room and things like that. And so they might have some fears that really could be addressed if they just went and talked to a therapist and learned what therapy is about. Um, but usually that's, those are some of the things. Another thing that I want to add is there are uh, clients who have sought therapy, but then um, they don't have a good experience with their therapist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the client and the therapist, um, they're not a good fit. And that is for a lot of different reasons. One of the biggest reasons, though, is uh, cultural differences, cultural worldview differences. So you're working with a therapist who doesn't understand what it's like to be African who doesn't understand what it's like to move from a country in Africa. They, they probably don't even know the country that you come from in Africa, you yeah, know? So, you know, they, they might lack a lot of understanding about where you come from, who you are, what it's like for you to immigrate to this country. You know, they might not even know much about, like, um, maybe some of the challenges that come with your visa. Let's say you're an international student. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't really understand, like with the type of visa, some of the restrictions that come with that or some of the challenges that come with that, they can't fully understand like how to support you and help you if they don't know these things. Or maybe they're not even trying to educate themselves on these things. So that now leads to them having a negative experience in therapy mm-hmm. where, you know, they're sharing about what's going on for them. But then they're realizing there's a gap, like they're not able to connect with their therapist because the therapist doesn't really understand or is not aware of their experience as an African, as an immigrant, as an international student, and all these things. Yeah. So it's a lot of different reasons, but those are the some some of the ones that are the most common. 
I see. So, I mean, you said a lot of things here and we're, we're going to pick on each and every one of them, you know, separately, but I want to start from this beginning part about, you know, people thinking that you're crazy or maybe you're sick or, um, mm-hmm. and maybe pair that with the fact that, um, trust issues, maybe it's the issue mm-hmm. of, I don't know, I don't want to open up to a stranger. I'm mm-hmm. just scared. And the fact that, um, there's probably not a lot of, I don't know, black Africans like me that are doing this job. And so mm-hmm. all this stigma, like how did, you know, maybe the, the question really is that where did all of this originate from? I mean, is it based mm-hmm. on, is there something inherent that was part of our culture that mm-hmm. made us maybe develop this sort of idea? Because mm-hmm. maybe I don't want to be looked upon as crazy. Maybe there's mm-hmm. something as part of my culture, part of my upbringing that's going to mm-hmm. look bad on me if people find mm-hmm. out. Or maybe it's that even if there is somebody from my mm-hmm. culture that is mm-hmm. um, a, a counselor that I can go go talk to, maybe mm-hmm. I'm afraid that I'm going to run into that person in the community meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, we're in Lincoln. It's a small place. Mm-hmm. Um, give it a year or two, pretty much you might encounter all the Africans you need to encounter in the city. So yes. maybe, uh, I mean, <laughs> are those part of those, like I'm trying to really understand Mm-hmm. What really is the root cause of some of this stigma? Is it something mm-hmm. that was, you know, in that we took upon ourselves based on how society defined to, decided to define us, or mm-hmm. was it something that is just inherent as part of our culture? Mm-hmm. I think it's both, um, and the reason I say that is because I, I can't say that it's one one reason. Just because, you know different people have different backgrounds and different mm-hmm. experiences. So, you know, what is underlying for one person might not be the same for another person. Yeah. You know, so for some people, you know, the trust issues could come from maybe they they um they experience trauma growing up. And so one thing that happens when you experience trauma is you have a hard time, you know, um building trusting relationships with people. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you can it's just that it might take time or there are certain conditions that need to be met in order to fully trust. So yeah. that also, you know, influences your relationship with your therapist. You're not going to be able to trust a therapist that easily, you know. So for one person, it could be traumatic experiences. You know, for another person, it could be messages that they used to get from their family, from relatives, from, you know, media, you know, about mental health concerns. You know, mm-hmm. if they, all they were hearing is, by you being depressed or you being anxious or something like that, like you're crazy, then of course they wouldn't want to admit, you know, that they're having those concerns if they're starting to see that they have symptoms, you know, because then they don't want to be labeled as crazy. They don't want to be labeled as, you know, not fit, you know, to do certain things. Maybe they also don't want to be ridiculed because maybe they come, they have a family members or they have relatives or people around them who ridicule, you know, people who might have certain mental health conditions. You know, the other thing is um, maybe people might be coming from backgrounds where um, family members have a limited understanding about different mental health concerns. Like ADHD is one of the ones that I've heard in my community. Like, you know, some people actually think it's a disorder that's made up. You know that, oh, you know, when a child is hyperactive or they're not able to sit still or pay attention, it's a, it's a it's a conduct issue, you know, or it's a behavior issue, you know. But for some, yes, it is. But then for other children, it's actually a, a mental health 
concern that they actually need to get treatment for. Mm -hmm. You know, so then if you're coming from a family that doesn't really um, believe that you you might actually have this mental health condition and you need treatment so that you can um, function well, then you don't get the help that you need or you you feel like you also start to feel like you're making it up. You know, maybe there's yeah. really nothing wrong with you, you know, or you might start to feel a lot of shame. Like, okay, I know there's something wrong, but, you know, I just have to figure out how to fix this because no one else will help me fix it. You know, yeah. I need to get over this. Yeah. So for some people, it's that. Um, then we also have to think about the fact that, you know, as Africans, you know, we come from a continent where a lot of things have happened to us here historically, right? You know, a lot of different countries in Africa have um, experienced colonialism, mm -hmm. you know, and, and colonizers came to our, our different countries, um, you know, under a guise, right? They didn't come saying they want to conquer, you know, mm -hmm. they, they, they came, you know, with this um, approach of they want to help, they want to work with the communities and things like that. And then they turned on us. Mm -hmm. You know, so also thinking historically, um, you know, I think also trust issues may have come from that. So and I guess I'm saying this to say that there are a lot of people, Africans and also African-Americans here in the United States who, because of the experiences that they've had with like colonizers or like, um, you know, people who have enslaved them, mm -hmm. you know, then they are like, we can't trust the system, you yeah. know, because they associate the system or like professional mental health system with, yeah. um, you know, the people who have oppressed them, mm -hmm. you know? So there's also that to think about. Okay. So maybe let's talk a little bit about this, I guess, trauma, we can call it, right? Um, slavery, colonialism. I mean, Desmond Tutu famously said that, you know, the folks showed up, we had the land, they had the Bible. They said, let's pray. We close our eyes. By the time we open it, we had the Bible, they had our land. And so, that in itself, and again, you're right, maybe because some of us are just second generation removed from this colonial stuff. Our parents, our grandparents witnesses, we, we hear these stories firsthand, not, you know, we're not 10 generations removed. And then we come to America, there's the flip side of it. You have slavery. I mean, I remember driving through Alabama and stuff. The things I saw there, I was like scared. And so, then there's also the, the, the trust in the healthcare system in this country where, I don't know, a lot of black folks have no trust in the healthcare system. So we see that there are all these traumatic events that have happened, you know, I guess to a lot of black people or African folks in this country. Um, so you seen, I mean, these events somehow, you know, are they part of the cause for the stigma? And, you know, how can we maybe as a community, how can we, I mean, I don't know, is, can we overcome this or, you know, what is it that folks like you who are African and in this sort of profession, what are some of the things that you can do to be able to help us so that we can start to, um, you know, work through some of this, you know, this trauma that we've literally lived through all our lives? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, man, that's a, that's a heavy question. I don't even know where to start with, <laughs> with answering <laughs> it, you yeah. know, but my thinking is this because, it's taken so many years, mm -hmm. you know, we've gone through so much and so much, like so many years. Yeah. It's, it's also going to take time, you know, for us to heal. Yeah. You know, and I think part of that healing is, involves acknowledging what has happened, you know, in your current lifetime, you know, the experiences you've had 
things you've gone through. But at the same time, when you're working with a therapist, to be able to address these other things that are historical, because I think intergenerational trauma is real. Mm -hmm. Even if you didn't live in a certain time period, just knowing that your people went through something, Mm -hmm. you know, something very traumatic, you know, that's something that that you carry. You know, your parents carry that. When they talk about stories of their lives or when they talk about like their grandparents or your grandparents and what they went through, like these are still things that we hear and they do affect us whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. So I think not only addressing what has happened for you in your lifetime, I think also addressing historically what has happened to your people is something that can help with getting on a path of healing. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is we need more representation in um, in this profession. You know, representation in terms of we need more black psychologists, we need more black therapists, we need more like African, black African, you know, mm-hmm. therapists or black yeah. African psychologists. You know, because I can't tell you how many times like when I work with a, a client who identifies as black or who identifies as African, how they feel so they, they talk about how they feel so seen and they feel like like I understand just because of the identities that I have, the shared identities that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, and and for them it's the first time that they've probably ever worked with someone who shares in those identities and they talk about what a difference is made for them. Mm-hmm. You know, so that tells me that I think we need more people in this profession who have these identities, who are black, who are African, because we don't have many of these people. And another thing is even for us as uh, clinicians, you know, so I recognize that in my profession, in my workplace, there's not a lot of people who look like me or come from where I come from, yeah. you know. And so the conversations are very different. And a lot of times I, I end up being maybe uh the only person who voices a concern, you know, related to black issues or African issues or ethnic minority issues, because I'm aware, but they're not, you know, or they might have a limited understanding, you know, or they might feel shy, you know, to bring those things up because they don't have those identities, you Mm -hmm. know? So that's another thing that happens. I think when there's more representation um, in this profession and also in the workplace, then like more of our voice, gets represented in these settings so that we can advocate better for these clients. Yeah. So you said something that I really like, and and that was acknowledging. Because many times I feel um, in society, we talk a lot about time healing stuff, and we're just hoping that maybe we're all going to die and, you know, forget. But really, acknowledgement of what has happened, and, and you're right, you know, sometimes maybe I don't need to leave there to my parents just telling me that story just emotes this trauma. I mean, I, I realized that when my grandma told me some stories about the wars that my great-grandfather fought in, I mean, it brought some feelings that I never thought I would have. I mean, I never knew the man. I'd never seen him before. But out of nowhere, I just, I don't know, it's rage, some kind of rage that came in me. And I was, you know, shocked about that. But on the flip side, you know, when you talk about representation, a lot of us having to go into these professions, a lot of us are sometimes the first people in our family, the first, you know, maybe in our entire even race to get into some of these rooms and, you know, be there and advocate. Sometimes that can also become very, very exhausting because yes. you find yourself, you become that one person or that one woman or man that constantly have to remind people. I mean, so... Does all the burden have to be on us, the minority, or uh, here in America in the context we're in, does the majority white population have to bear some of this burden and 
they themselves try to reach out, they themselves try to do some of their acknowledging and also try to see that, you know, we can, you know, go through this healing or grieving and healing process so that, you know, we help a segment of the population. I mean, yes. they, you know, bear some of that responsibility. Yes, I, the answer is yes. I think we all need to work together, you know, because what happened in the past involved all of us. It wasn't yeah. just black people didn't oppress themselves. You know what I mean? So I think everyone who who, who has been involved, obviously, like these are folks who are living right now. These are not folks who are slave masters and things like that. But their ancestors yeah. maybe were, you know, yeah. and that that's something to acknowledge, too. So I think even for them, uh, it's important for them to acknowledge their role in the trauma that a lot of uh, black people have experienced, black African people have experienced. And you know, acknowledge that alongside, you know, the struggles that Blacks and Africans are going through um, mm -hmm. and be willing to talk about these things and not to put Black people or African people in positions where they are the only ones who are bringing up concerns that they have, you know, things that, you know, need to be brought up, like their voice, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I, I do feel like that's one thing that I would like to see. And that's something that I've actually mentioned um, even in my work setting how like I don't want to be the only person who anytime there's an issue related to Africans or related to black people or related to immigrants or related to international students, like I am the one who tends to be the first one to say it. Sometimes I want to just sit back and hear somebody else say it. And yeah. I'm like, yes, you get it. Like, okay, you, you I, <laughs> exactly, okay, yeah. okay, you, you get it. You see it. I'm not the only one who sees it because of my background. Mm -hmm. You know, it just feels so good to see someone who doesn't look like you to be able to acknowledge these things too. It helps us feel, you know, like you're, I don't know, it just builds, it, it brings this sense of camaraderie, yeah. even if, you know, we don't share in the same identities. It just feels so good. So yeah. I feel like that support from um, people who don't come from our communities, it makes a big difference. And I think they, they do need to be a part of this conversation. And in fact, I encourage that because I think for true healing to happen, that needs to happen. So it needs to happen within our own community, you know, supporting each other and acknowledging it for ourselves, but at the same time being open to including, you know, um, people from different backgrounds to be a mm -hmm. part of that conversation and us working together to get to that place of healing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. I mean, I hope that, you know, we can get there. And I am especially grateful that in the times we live in nowadays, renewed interest in mental health, I mean, we just went through May, a whole mental health month, you know, creating all this awareness. It's a, a day, I think, coming up in October as well. All of this, creating all this awareness. But maybe if we flip on the other side, we look at from within our own community, we have this black tax, right? Where, because I'm the first in my family to have succeeded, you know, it just becomes that now I have to take care of hundreds of people. And, you know, we Africans, I mean, I'll speak from my West African perspective, you know, we have like hundreds of kids and, you know, so now it's like I have the responsibility of an entire village, you know, so how can we as a community be better at this? You know, because I think that that in itself creates some kind of, stress trauma and you know folks come here and even their own self they're not able to take care of because guess what if i take a break for just a day my entire village will starve you know i have to take care of you know if, if i have my own family i have my family i have maybe 50 other people that depend on me supporting them somehow and so 
what can we as a community that's a very good question you know um because i agree like i liked what you said about how like if you don't help then there are people from your village who could starve like that's a real issue and of course you don't want that because these are people that you love and and care about and i'm sure they've supported you to get as far as you've gotten mm-hmm. you know so i want to acknowledge that but also say that one of the mistakes that i feel like some of us um make when we come to this country is when we give back like we can we it's good to give back yes but also you need to think about by you giving back is it helping develop the potential that you know the people you're giving to you know have you know so you're not just giving and they're using and it's going away like you have to give in the sense that you give and then they um they somehow like use that to help themselves now be self sufficient all right so i think um it's good to give back it's good to help people from your village from your community you know but one thing that we need to think about is by giving back by helping them are we enabling them to continue depending on us or are we helping them with the goal of the little that we give or the much that we give is it helping them develop themselves so that they don't have to continue depending on you forever you know because you can't be able to help you know people from back home for the rest of your life like yeah you know you also have to help them develop themselves so i think that's where a lot of us go wrong too you know when we come here where we feel this guilt like we have to keep giving money we have to keep um you know helping i think it's good to help but at the same time i think we need to be wise in the way that we help too like mm-hmm. can we help in such a way that help develop someone's potential so that they can help themselves but at the same time they can continue to help people who are in our, in the in the community we've left behind yeah that it, the burden doesn't just fall on you. I hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far. I think that this would be a good place for us to pause and we will pick up this conversation in next week's episode. Until next time, thank you for joining us at the Carrefour.